Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean and this is the podcast where we take research from the equine industry and we try to make it accessible to owners and horse enthusiasts. Just remember that each horse is an individual so with that in mind you should always seek professional advice before implementing any of the research we discuss. This week Nancy and I are looking at a um, article that sums up research into equine coronavirus. So it's a science in brief, equine coronavirus, a decade long journey to investigate an emerging enteric virus of adult horses. And being a hot topic at the moment, um, viruses and people and horses, we thought this would be quite an interesting one to discuss because there are quite a few parallels between the two. But it's important to note that the equine coronavirus is different. So there are different strains of coronavirus and different families of it, if you will. There's four different um, genre, and that's the alpha, beta, delta, and gamma coronavirus. And the equine one is part of the beta group. So you don't need to know too much detail about that, just that the human one is also classified within that group. The bovine ones, so for cows, porcine, which is our pigs, um, our canine one, our mouse one, um, our rat one. And also within that group as well, they have the, is it bubbeline? I had to actually Google this. I thought it was such an interesting word that just means buffalo. So oh. That version of coronavirus is also there. So coronaviruses have been around for many, many years. It might be something you've only just heard about recently because it is um, currently an issue for humans. And I think what is interesting about all viruses is, you know, how quickly they spread, obviously, that we're aware of. But there's that initial stage where we have to wait for medicine to catch up with it. So, you know, we need our scientists and our doctors to be able to research and determine how can we vaccinate against it and how can we actually prevent the spread, which I think we've all seen, you know, probably in this lifetime, this has been the biggest pandemic that globally we've gone through and we've all gotten to see each stage of that so the initial you know diagnosing and realizing what it was right through to now they're trying to develop that vaccine for it yeah and i had never heard about coronavirus before this pandemic i didn't even know there was a coronavirus that was specifically geared towards equine or equids and um it really is kind of uh, been apparent in recent years because the first outbreak wasn't actually uh, documented in it was almost 11 years ago. So and it was in Japan and it was surrounding uh, two to four year old uh, racing horses. Um, that year, they really didn't connect it with an equine coronavirus. But three years later, in uh, 2013, they did, they were able to actually um, 
find a positive correlation in the fecal matter of the horses. So it was really interesting that it seems like these coronaviruses are very specific um, to the class of animal that they're that they're geared towards. So like dog, cat, ferret, like Kate was talking uh, earlier, um, they're all very specific within these species. Yeah, and that's how obviously we came to essentially develop that coronavirus that can infect humans. It was through obviously animal, the consumption of animal meat. So coronaviruses have been present in animals for many years. Um, and there are, you know, as Nancy said, those different variations. But I think what's interesting about the horse one is that they seen it in foals and it was very easily detected in foals because foals would get diarrhea when they would get this. Whereas in the adult horses, it's just not easily detectable because so many of them won't show signs or symptoms or the symptoms that they actually do show are common for hundreds of things. So it's probably like the situation we're coming into now with the winter where, you know, so many people are going to get a cough and a cough can be a hundred different reasons why you could have a cough. But one of those could potentially be, you know, you've got a, a respiratory virus like coronavirus and that's why you're coughing. But it could also just be that you've got an allergy to dust, you know, and they found in the adult horses that one of the symptoms was, I believe, um, enlarged lymph nodes was one. Mm -hmm. But again, so many things can cause that. So, you know, they had said, if that symptom was there, then you could do the test. Um, and this was always the part that I found interesting working in a veterinary practice is we have all these tests that we can do, but it does come down to, you know, do we want to test for something just kind of willy nilly, if you will? You know, why are we running an expensive test if they've got one symptom that may not actually be it? And this obviously doesn't apply to people at the moment because we need to get the pandemic under control. But certainly we would see like puppies come in with diarrhea regularly. And it could just be that, you know, they've been weaned off their mum or they're changing their food. But it could also be um, Giardia that they can get, which is a virus. And we have to kind of weigh up, you know, the benefit of should we test every animal and use these resources and again, can the owners afford the testing? Because, you know, there's the flip side where you do have to pay for that to be run. Yeah. And I thought it was so interesting that they realized that this equine coronavirus was spreading um, with movement of the horses. So in and out of breeding farms, um, in and out of racetracks. So um, it's so similar to what we're seeing with human COVID-19 and um, a lot of the adult horses just had lethargy, maybe uh, anorexia or weight loss, and then they usually had a fever. Well, how many times, I mean, we have uh, equine influenza that covers those three symptoms where you wouldn't test for coronavirus. And I thought it was really interesting that 
um, they tested 300 healthy horses that were exhibiting zero symptoms, and 20% of them tested positive for equine coronavirus. So I think we're seeing that with COVID-19 as well, that where we have a portion of the population that for either genetic reasons or immune response reasons, they're not getting any symptoms, yet they're testing positive. And that's, you know, the point you made actually about moving the horses and they've seen it spread more that way. Mm-hmm. Something that I just thought of there when you were saying it, Nancy, was do you think because, you know, this is enteric, so it's to do with the intestines, the stress of moving animals could have flared that up as well? They because did. in so many cases, you just see where you increase stress in animals, you tend to increase that risk for disease. Yeah, um, they did say um, some of the precursors to avoid your horse getting equine coronavirus was to reduce stress. And I'll just, all of them were, number one, have a good vaccination program for illnesses that you can vaccinate for. And that for your region of the world, your veterinarian suggests that you vaccinate for. And then second thing was to reduce stress. The third thing was to optimize nutrition so you're building a good immune system for a good immune response. And then um, the fourth thing was to reduce exposure. And because of there not being a vaccination for it, as it applies to horses, um, they recommended that you use really secure um, are heightened biosecurity methods. The nutrition one is actually interesting as well because there's so many different research articles on you know having a healthy gut and how it benefits. Like we know that what we put in our bodies benefits all aspects of our body, but that your gut actually can release like happiness hormones and what you're putting in there really does have such a massive effect on your mood, on your energy levels and on your immune system. And I think sometimes that is where we get it wrong because do we really work out what exactly we should be feeding our horses? Probably not. I would doubt there, you know, are many places that calculate it down to T other than, you know, where there's a business factor involved um, how often are we just saying, oh, like a scoop of that, but the scoop could be, you know, a small saucepan or it could be two hands or, you know, are we actually working out that they're getting an optimum nutrition? Yeah, I agree. And so much of our immune system when it comes to people are centered from your good gut health and probiotics, vitamins, good nutrition, not junk food. And I just think it it not only works for us as humans, but it works in our horses too. And can you actually get probiotics in horses, Nancy? You can. Um, I give my horses a feed. Um, it's a pelleted feed. And one of the components is a probiotic that's geared towards horses. Now, the problem with probiotic science is it's just not conclusive as far as what cultures 
are needed. And I think those cultures are probably individual, but I take probiotics myself and I just take a general probiotic. You have to buy it from a physician and it seems to cover all the populations. Um, it's a high number of cultures. So I'm sure with horses, it's probably even more complicated. But um, I do know there's no exact science with probiotics. But I take them, my horses take them, and um, it, it seems to work. Yeah. I'm not because endorsing it, any probiotic, but <laughs> I do I do know it has made a difference for me. So um, it's definitely, I think, something everyone can kind of look into. But sauerkraut is a wonderful probiotic. Really? There's a lot of fermented foods we as humans can eat that will build your own flora and fauna in your intestines and yogurts one as well, uh, as long as it has active cultures. But yes, sauerkraut is a good probiotic. And I was amazed, you know, I, I didn't know that anything fermented like that is healthy. So that's, that's really interesting, because and it's like on the note of you saying that you have to go to your physician if you're going to take like a probiotic supplement, mm -hmm. because certainly over here, like, really good probiotics the proper ones that are you know endorsed by doctors and do have all the strains are expensive and mm -hmm. um, yeah so but that's I find that interesting too that it's um formulated pre-formulated in the feed because yeah. I wouldn't have as much like knowledge behind horse feeds and things like you would so that is really interesting that you can actually get a horse feed and maybe a lot of people are feeding already and don't realize it's included or would it specifically like advertise for that yeah one um what i feed my horses advertised um the probiotic and it lists the cultures and i just kind of left it to those dietary scientists to kind of you know, trust that they know what they're doing and um, that's why i went with that line of feed for the probiotics. Now there are probiotic supplements you can give your horses and I don't do that, but I do feed a complete feed that has probiotics in it. Um, and on the topic then, I just realized I kind of took us on a probiotic tangent, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, on the topic of biosecurity that you mentioned, have you you know, having a farm yourself, have you had to put in biosecurity measures in the past? Or have you ever had any like concerns about outbreaks or any tips for how to kind of control that within a herd? You know, I do. And I'm kind of picky about it because I try to keep a closed herd here at the farm that goes out in the large pasture. They're together every day. If one leaves the farm to go to a show or an event or a race, um, I try to take my own buckets, um, don't let them nose other horses. Um, you know, you kind of don't want people coming up, touching your horse, so to speak, or, you know, anywhere near their face. They can maybe pet their neck or whatever, but um, you just try to keep 
turnout groups consistent and separate from groups of other horses. And, um, you know, you watch what you use as far as equipment goes at other barns. And then um, especially um, in the United States, we had those outbreaks of equine herpes virus, and sometimes there was a neurological form, and you really did not want to bring that back and spread that to your other horses, especially your older horses. So um, I really took up and picked up my biosecurity, and I even got to the point where I changed um, to come back to the farm and you Clorox those boots. And if ever there was an outbreak that had gone on or, you know, usually if one is currently going on, then all the shows and the, the events tend to stop. But um, you just try to keep your horses as a separate herd and a separate entity and you protect them. And would you ever like just routinely isolate them when they come back or are they would you generally just put them into the stable anyway no um if they come in from a racetrack they are turned out separate for 21 days from other you know they don't join that herd right away they're kept separate and part of the reason is when they're racing anyway um, if you just turn them out in a large pasture, they're just too um, hyped up. And, and even though um, they've just run a race, they're in a different form of fitness than what your pasture horses are. So I kind of try to protect them, keep them in a smaller pen until they're, um, that 21 days passes. And then they're usually down enough that they can go out with other horses. And um, so, but main thing is, um, you know, don't let the horses drink from the same containers. Um, you just use good biosecurity uh, practices. And also that includes washing your own hands, uh, changing your clothes, changing your shoes, um, maybe having a Clorox 50-50 with water solution in a tub outside your barn that you can dip your shoes in before you walk in. Um, just good measures like that, especially if there's a current outbreak going on somewhere else. And even with this, so the equine coronavirus in the adult horse, because we know that you know, if you see a foal that has diarrhea, obviously you're going to separate them out. Mm -hmm. um, and depending on their age, sometimes you'll have to separate them out with their mother, obviously. But with the adult one not showing signs and symptoms, it is still important to note that vets do have um, the ability to do that differentiation where they can still determine if it is it so you know if you are concerned do get your vet out get your horse checked and they do have successful outcomes it's not you know they were saying that complications associated with it are actually rare mm -hmm. which is a good thing yeah I I think I saw where the um, only the really high complications as in humans came about when there were comorbidities that that horse had, like equine metabolic syndrome, um, you know, uh, age, 
it was the same comorbidities that we're seeing in humans as well, that you have to kind of watch those horses. And, you know, that's not surprising as it, that's an immune, um, you know, kind of hampers your immune response when you have those illnesses. So um, I, I totally agree, you know, and in and, and horses, it's a fecal test anyway. So if you have a horse that's lethargic, um, losing weight and has a fever, they'll probably treat it as if it has influenza, but you can do a fecal test to see if it has equine coronavirus. Most recover, and it's a self-limiting disease where they'll recover within 10 days of it. So um, it runs really, really parallel to the equine influenza. The great thing as well about fecal tests is if you do submit a fecal sample to your vet, they can run multiple tests. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not just you've got one sample, you can only check for coronavirus. Um, A little funny point to note, having worked in mixed animal practice is check with your vet how much feces they actually need before you submit the sample. (laughs) We used to get bags bags and bags of feces and we'd like we really just need a little pot we don't need all of this so you would be through the back you know like breaking it up and just filling a tiny tube and then you know we need to try and dispose of a whole carrier bag yeah hey Kate with you in the veterinary field do you have many people request equine coronavirus test No, but I would say, so I've worked in like rural practice that's been mixed. And then in the other practice I worked in, again, it was mixed animal. Um, We just didn't seem to have a whole lot of testing in general with our horses. Like we would have a lot of fecal samples submitted to do fecal egg counts. Mm -hmm. Like that was kind of bread and butter, but not a whole lot for testing. Yeah. But then again, we didn't see a whole lot of, you know, we didn't have huge disease outbreaks. And I think that is because when you're living in more rural areas, you know, unless the horses are traveling for competition, you're not going to get that spread. Yeah. I think that goes back to that reduce the stress on the horses because um, living in a rural environment, they're probably turned out. They have their herd mates it's a very low stress situation. Yeah, definitely in the West of Ireland, you know, where I grew up, very few horses would be stabled. Um, And certainly like it was majority Connemara ponies and they're just so hardy. You can just leave them on the side of a mountain all year round and they just fend like, you know, they're really tough ponies. So I think that probably played a role too. And then I think we've maybe mentioned this before, um, but I think being out on like a, you know, a landscape like that where you have variations in grass just provides different minerals. And it is, you know, when you've horses turned out and it really is kind of like a rugged landscape, they just get access to so much more variety than they would necessarily in like an overgrazed pasture. Yeah, I think, and they also said that equine coronavirus is prevalent in the colder months when there's, uh, you know, a horse is moved maybe sometimes inside or they congregate in windbreaks or wind shelter. Yeah. 
and they are they're closer together. So there's not quite the social distancing you normally see, um, you know, in nicer weather, you'll see sometimes they'll be in a herd, but the wind blows and they're outside. And sometimes, you know, they come in in the winter and they're inside a barn and the air gets kind of humid. And, um, you know, I always a big advocate to open up those barns, even in the wintertime and let the air flow. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's, you know, that's so important because a lot of people these days, I think are really getting, jumping on the bandwagon of, um, you know, doing things yourself again. And it is like a money saver, you know, so many people are doing conversions and um, building their own barns. And really you have to consider airflow when you're doing that. It's yeah. so important that you've got correct ventilation and you've got control of drafts. And, you know, there is a lot more to it than you actually think when you go into that kind of endeavor. Yeah. And the one thing I wanted to make sure people know is that there is no way horses can uh, give a human uh, COVID-19. Humans can't give COVID-19 to horses. This equine coronavirus is totally separate from any human coronavirus. And, um, in horses, the outbreaks on breeding farms or on racetracks have been extremely short-lived. So um, the interesting thing, as I said, is that 80% of horses tested positive for it, but had no symptoms. And that was out of 300 test horses. So, um, you know, it's not a big deal in horses unless your horse um, has symptoms that are extreme just keep it in the back of your head ask your vet and he'll be able to assess whether or not he or she should do a coronavirus test I think that's probably a good point to end on for yep. today's episode and I wanted to tell everyone we were going to do the interview with Keith Austin he's actually in Lafayette Louisiana as we all know, Hurricane Laura came through there, and um, so he was not available for today. Him and his family and horses are all safe, so we hope to connect with him for the next episode. Have you any research that you wanted to look at next week, Nancy, or should we just keep it a surprise for this one? Well, I think let's keep it. Maybe hopefully we'll have Keith as an interview. Um, and then if that doesn't work out, we'll pull out another surprise one that, um, you know, we think someone may want to listen to. And also, if anyone has any requests on research, make sure you email us. And uh, we also have the email at conversations in equine science at gmail.com or you can leave a message on the anchor homepage and we would absolutely love to hear your voice messages if you are brave enough so pop onto anchor and you can drop us a little voice note where you can um you know you can make a comment or you can give us feedback or you can just ask for us to look at a certain research paper i think that would be absolutely brilliant and yeah, we'll play, we'll put it on the show so uh, everyone can hear your lovely voices. 
Yeah. Um, perfect. So if you do want to support the reviews of the research we do, you can do that through the support button as well. And other than that, we'll speak to you all next week. Okay. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Take care.